Between that pile of laundry that never seems to get any smaller and all those incoming emails and oh so many Zoom calls, you've got plenty on your to-do list. So give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. You know how this goes. You want Chinese, kids want burgers, everybody wants Froyo. Well, instead of just arguing about it, there is something for everything on DoorDash. So get, get everybody everything they want. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is really easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and you enter the code STAPLES. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code STAPLES. Don't forget, that's code STAPLES for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. I'm trying to figure out how to describe this week because I was looking at the schedule for next week and you see all these SEC games and all these ACC and Big 12 conference games and it's like, okay, it is really going to feel like football season next week. But there were games this week. There was intrigue this week. It just, it felt like an appetizer, like a pretty good appetizer. Like bacon-wrapped shrimp, not like mozzarella sticks. So, to talk about this very good appetizer, the Athletics' Max Olson joins me. Max, how you doing? Wait, did you just say bacon-wrapped shrimp is worse than no. mozzarella sticks? I said bacon-wrapped shrimp is a great appetizer, and mozzarella sticks is a mediocre appetizer. Okay, I I thought that was a little vague, the way you put that. And I'm, I'm really not a mozzarella sticks guy. Nobody's so. really a mozzarella sticks person. It's fine. No. Fried cheese is good. I mean, it's it's not a bad. I'm also thing. not really. Just, I'm not like a cold mozzarella sticks guy either. You know, well, I just that's the problem. They're you grow out of that stuff. Cold. Yeah. If you eat them hot, you burn your tongue. If you let them cool, they're too cold. There's no middle ground with mozzarella sticks, but you'll eat them because they're there. The bacon wrapped mm-hmm. shrimp, you're just going to eat. So, yeah, I feel like this week was almost like uh, maybe this was this week was like the the fried pickle of, Ooh, of the schedule. Right? I do like a fried pickle. Because, you know, folks like you and me who who love all college football of all shapes and sizes still had a great Saturday. But there's going to be some people who are like, you know, that's just not for me. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Well, you're going to be there next week. But right now, we, we do have a lot to talk about. Max, you and I just got done watching Miami and Louisville. And we're going to talk a little more in-depth about the Hurricanes a little bit later with our Hurricanes beat writer, Manny Navarro. But Max, I wanted to talk to you about this because... It's been so long since we saw Miami with not only a functional offense, but a fun offense. They are putting the fun in functional in terms of offense. Mm-hmm. How weird is this? You know, it was. it's really cool to see. The thing that stood out to me is they got rolling tonight against Louisville. When you, th- you sort of think about how far they've come just in this year alone, like how can you not be impressed by what Rhett Lashley has pulled off here? And I'm not saying that they're going to go, you know, put up 47 points a game the rest of the way or anything, but just with all the obstacles you've got in an offseason like this to be the new guy um, and and get this thing installed 
and and playing at a high level when you've got good teams on your schedule to start off. They they didn't really, you know, ease into this with UAB here. I mean, and and Louisville like they've it's good test right away. Um, what an like just what a fun offense we saw it at SMU last year. We've seen it obviously in the past with what he's done with Gus, but like fun offense. And I guess it always helps when you start over offensively and, and, and install something new with a guy who, I mean, we could probably figure this out, but what top 15, top 20 quarterback in the country. Yeah, I would say. And, and Derek King has played in so many different spread offenses that nothing Rhett Lashley threw at him was going to seem unfamiliar. It may not have been exactly what he did before, but all the concepts are similar to what he's done before. Sure. I was shocked at how poorly Louisville handled what Rhett Lashley would call the eye candy of this offense, mm-hmm. where you know they, they tell a story with their motion and with the way maybe one side of the line blocks, and Louisville was buying that story constantly and leaving leaving people open. Yeah, you're definitely right about that. And you know, is that is that like a preparation problem? Is that just an early season thing? Um, when you you know you're you're getting ready for Miami, but they didn't put a ton on tape for you in having just played one game. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure that was pretty frustrating at times for Louisville fans to watch them kind of get that wide open. But that's how it's set up, man. And you've got um, you know you've got the backs to to balance it out too. And and you've got I was really just impressed by you know the tight ends by by Brevin Jordan and, and Will Mallory and the way that those guys can get involved. Um, Brevin Jordan seven for one twenty tonight, and, and, I mean, and the hurdle, and you're like, no, 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 yes, hurdle. yes, you did it. <laughs> we were watching that, and my wife was like, "Yo, those always make me nervous. Like, I think they're gonna get hurt." He's like, "He did not look like he was gonna get hurt on that one." Um, Brevin Jordan always looks like he's going to hurt the person trying to tackle him for in sure. every situation. For sure. So you take those guys, you take what they have with with Harrison Knight and at running back. Um, yeah, that's that's all the pieces you need to go do this offense and do it um, in a way that, that scores you a lot of points right away. So the other big story today in the ACC was involving a team that didn't play, but the team that will play Miami next week. And that's Mike Norvell, the Florida State head coach, has tested positive for COVID-19. He must isolate, and he cannot coach Florida State against Miami next week. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean... You know, we, we talked about that this summer, Andy, a little bit about how how is this going to work for these teams that, you you know, you are going to need a little bit of a quarterback depth chart because this is a real possibility. You know, we've seen it in the past, um, you know, Jason Campbell. We haven't seen it in an in-season situation until uh, today. How much of a difference do you think that really makes? I mean, during the week, I, I imagine with the way, how much they're zooming now, probably not much, but just the game day element of that, like, how do you kind of think that goes with Chris Thompson? Right. This is not a suspension. So Norvell no. can be involved in all the Zoom meetings and everything else. He can meet with the team. He can meet with individual position groups, all that stuff, as long as he does it remotely. So you got to think he's going to. You got to think they're going to have him zoomed into practice or, or you know watching practice on huddle or however they, they're going to do that. So it's really more just the game. And, and Chris Thompson is going to be their – interim coach or their acting head coach he's been a head coach before he was he was Abilene Christian's head coach from 2005 to 2011 six consecutive division two playoffs appearances so he knows how to call a game but Mm -hmm. this is a team that lost to Georgia Tech in its opener and looked pretty bad in the process and is now going to play a team that has beaten 
two good teams already and looks like it is really finding its groove offensively. That is a tough time to be without your head coach. <laughs> well, I mean, you could and you could go down the bullet point list of of what else Florida State's kind of gone through the last couple months here, right? I mean, and just in terms of a year one coaching deal, um, you know, they're trying to make the best of it. But uh, yeah, the they're, they're definitely on the uh, you know the all Madden difficulty for this first year. It's it's crazy, and and it doesn't feel like it gets any easier. You know, the the team that beat them last week on Saturday played. UCF. So Georgia Tech hosted UCF and Georgia Tech looked like it was hanging in there at first and uh, had Mm -hmm. a couple blown opportunities in the red zone in the first quarter. It really should have been a much closer game around the half, but then UCF just explodes in the second half. They win 49 to 21 and you're thinking, okay, UCF could do that to this defense. Florida State couldn't come close to doing that to this defense. And I, I granted UCF's good. Dylan Gabriel, you know, we're talking who's a top 15, who's a top 20. I think Dylan Gabriel is a top 10 quarterback in the country. Oh, yeah. Maybe even oh, a yeah. top five. Yes. Yeah. Uh, people love to say, like, the poor man's so-and-so thing. Like, I, I, I would say he's, like, a very upper middle class Tua at this point, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, look, okay, he's a left-handed <laughs> quarterback from Hawaii. He broke most of Tua's records. Now, he didn't go to the same high school as Tua. He went to the same high school as Mackenzie Milton. And for, for those who don't know the story, I, I was actually getting mad today watching this, watching the UCF mm-hmm. Georgia Tech game. And by the way, I don't say that just because they're both from Hawaii. I'm saying they literally oh, look like he's a the lefty, exact same the when they throw, it, same size, same. everything. Yeah, the, for the, sure. The ball looks the same coming out of their hand. But for sure, I was getting mad watching that game because he was committed to Army for so long. And I'm thinking, how did everybody <laughs> miss? How good a thrower this guy is! How could how could anybody watch him throwing on film and not go, "We got to have this guy." Instead, they go, "No, you go run the option, and we'll we'll, we'll let you throw it." How many times a year? There, <laughs> exactly. Well, so thank Mackenzie Milton <laughs> for this, by the way, because this is how it worked. This is what Josh Heupel told me last year. Basically, it was Mackenzie Milton every Friday night in 2018. You know, they'd be gathered for dinner and Mackenzie Milton would walk past Josh Heupel or sit down with Josh Heupel and say, you got to check out my guy. You got to check out my guy. You got to check out my guy. <laughs> and finally Heupel does. And he's like, you know what? I like him. And they bring him in for a visit. He commits. And then they had to fend off a charge from Georgia and USC at the end. But if not for Mackenzie Milton doing that, I'm not sure. I, we may be seeing Dylan Gabriel run the option for Army right now. Oh, I mean, yeah, and, and then the plan, you know, uh, the the plan wasn't, you know, the plan was Wimbush last year too, yeah. right? I mean, like the plan wasn't even for Dylan Gabriel to be, you know, next. I, I think there. once they got Dylan Gabriel in camp, they were like, mm, let's change the plan. Yeah, for sure. He looked awesome. Um, and and you know, Trey Nixon got hurt in that game. It didn't look great. Hopefully, he's okay. Uh, that's a really important piece for them offensively, but. Um, they were they were moving. Uh, Jalen Robinson, the Oklahoma transfer, thought he was really impressive in that game. And look, like let's you know we kind of have this tendency to say, okay, well, oh, you know, yeah, they beat a Power Five team, but it was just Georgia Tech, and you know they're not. Georgia Tech's getting a lot better. Andy. They are, and, and you've you know you've written about Je- it. Jeff you, Sims, you saw it. Jeff Sims is going to be a really good quarterback. Yeah, he's, and he's Gibbs a pretty looked good excellent now. in his first game for them. Yeah. There's a reason why he was a top fifty recruit um, by twenty four seven. Like. Georgia Tech's getting better. Florida State can certainly vouch for that. 
And I thought UCF, after a little bit of a like, made too many mistakes in the third quarter. They let it get back to a seven point game early in the fourth, and then they stepped on the pedal there and uh, and turned it into a route. But that game, you know, I wrote about this for Saturday takeaways. Like, it's an interesting spot now for UCF, Andy. You know it that you know the committees never let them rank any higher than eighth, right? And you the the problem is you know when they point to you know, how does a group of five team ever get into the playoff? You know, they like to point to 2016 Houston and say, well, you know, they beat Oklahoma and Louisville. If they'd gone undefeated, that'd be good enough. In a year like this, it's so tough for UCF where, what are they supposed you know, to do? You, what are they supposed to do? I mean, you only, you know, they lost the North Carolina game. The only power five game you get is Georgia Tech. And it's a route. I thought they played a great game today. Um, but that's all you can do. The, no, the power fives aren't playing more than one non-conference game. So, uh, it's unfortunate that a team this good, like you, you'd think, all right, this year could be that kind of year where maybe they could sneak in and have have a good case if they run the table. But boy, it's tough when you only get one. Yeah, and, and there's not much they can do about it, you know, unless they go to to me and Ari Wasserman's plan of of expand the playoff to eight just for this year because you don't really have any other way to compare anybody. But they're not going to sure. do that. They're gonna. It's going to be a four team playoff, and the Big Ten is coming back. As of Saturday <laughs> the big, night, the Pac-12 is not back yet, but the the thought is... But they're crashing yeah, the party here, yeah. and that just makes it even harder for By us, the end of the week, you know? they'll have a plan, and the, the plan is probably somebody's going to start on Halloween, and all of them will be started by November 7th. So, yeah, it, it's it's strange. I was thinking about that as I'm watching those late games, because uh, you, know, you and I, before we started recording this, we, we watched the end of, of Miami-Louisville, and then we watched the end of, of Wake Forest-North Carolina State, and NC State, by the way, snaps its six-game losing streak in the ACC in a, in a shootout against Wake Forest. But Barn burner. No, no Pac-12 after dark. It's, it's been odd. Like, yeah. it, you know, and it feels weird to not have uh, the Jayhawks after dark this week, too. Yes. Like, that, was, that was a pretty fun sample well, last we need, week. Like, we needed that. It, can we get more of that? Well, yeah. I mean, there's got to be a Big 12 team that needs some attention that's happy to start at 9 p.m. Central Time. There has yeah. to be. Because, honestly, the, the, there's no – it's not right that we're going to be going to bed this early. And it's nearly midnight here on the East Coast as we tape this, but that's too early. Like I I want to be up till three in the morning. I know I'm not going to be able to watch Hawaii. I've I've accepted that. I've made my peace. Sure. But I want to be up until. But at you least missed that classic, like the like the what was it like like the Washington Cal game where you're like, God, I'm trying to stay awake, <laughs> but Washington like could lose this. That one, I, that I, one I, we I, could I not to. make it till the end, even though Washington did end up losing. The other one that we prematurely recorded the podcast last year was UCLA Washington State. And and the only oh, reason yeah. we prematurely recorded that was cuz I was sure it was over. <laughs> I I miss it. It it does doesn't that just and, and and obviously these first few weeks are like not a great example cuz you've got I mean with the cancellations and stuff we've had we've had like five or six games for each time slot which is just so abnormal. It's weird. You know? And and but, a lot of times two yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes for a lean Saturday takeaways, but um, it next like what are, what are our big ones next weekend? What are what are the so ones we're circling listen, and we're listen fired to up this about? because you know basically we've gotten a, a smattering, and this next week feels more like the real thing. So here's here's your noon Eastern lineup at noon Eastern on Fox. Kansas State at Oklahoma. 
at noon okay. Eastern on ESPN, Florida at Ole Miss, at noon Eastern on ABC, Notre Dame at Wake Forest, at noon Eastern on SEC Network, Kentucky at Auburn. I like that. Like, they're even breaking out the SEC alternate network in the afternoon. That's how many That's games they got. Or, I'm sorry, at night. At night, Vandy, Texas A&M is on SEC alternate, while Tennessee, South Carolina is on the SEC network. So, next week's going to feel a lot more like your typical week. And by the way, we do have an after dark, after dark game. The Troy Trojans are headed to Provo <laughs> to play BYU. So, and, and if you saw Troy against Middle Tennessee State, now granted, Middle Tennessee State, not very good, but yeah. I think it could be a fun game. And just the idea of a game that kicks off at, at 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time, just it makes my heart smile a little bit. 100%. Um, remind me of the name of the BYU quarterback at this point. Uh, is it Baylor Romney? I believe it is. So we've got Baylor Romney and uh, Gunnar Watson. That's a that's hell of a exactly for right. Late night game. Oh, it's, it's going to be. I'm beautiful. into that. We're we're almost there. Now's the time to get your student loan payments under control. You could be saving by refinancing your student loans with Earnest. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Earnest. Checking your new rate is fast and easy to start. Complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes and you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. And now, you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest.com slash staples. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at earnest.com slash staples. Not available in all states? Visit earnest.com slash staples for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS number 1204917, California Financing Law License Number 605-4788-303 Second Street Suite 401 in San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com licenses for a full list of licensed states. There, there was a lot to chew on this week, and the one game there I was. wanted to talk to you about a little bit, Max, in the very early window on Saturday, Tulsa, Oklahoma State. Shane Illingworth, who was QB3 when the day started and missed a lot of time at practice and, uh, you know, they kind of joked that he would sort of vanished for a while. He gets thrown in there, goes four of five, leads three scoring drives. They were going to lose this game. And then once they put him in, everything started. Tylen Wallace <laughs> started becoming part of the offense again. Chuba Hubbard starts finding room to run. Is, is, this, is this the guy if Spencer Sanders is down for a while? Yeah, he had to be the guy today. Um, certainly, the you know Oklahoma State did not have a backup with any any experience playing for him. They had two new guys this year. Um, Ethan Bullock, the junior college transfer, just just didn't look like he was ready for it today. Offensive line didn't help him at all, and that that's kind of the shaky thing that um, is maybe a little bit more concerning going forward um, because the Spencer Sanders thing. Uh, you hope I, like they don't think it's a serious injury. I, I guess we'll see what the timetable is on that. Um, but to lose that guy on the first drive of the season, um, pretty scary for Oklahoma state, uh, for a team that has, uh, you know, really serious big 12 championship aspirations this year. And when I've, you know, when I've talked with Mike Gundy about this team and the potential, the thing he's always said is, yeah, if, if we're healthy, then we can be this good. Um, 
And, and that's been the case in the past for him too. And so to lose Sanders on the first drive of the season is, is pretty scary for them. Now their defense played awesome. And, and I think in any other year, um, you know, they probably could have lost this game. Uh, in, in this case, well, you know, Oklahoma State's Tulsa defense. Tulsa didn't help itself down no, the stretch. That if they were playing ugly. a better team, they would have lost today, I think. I really do. Oklahoma, you know, Tulsa squandered a lot of opportunities. Um, but Oklahoma State's D did, did get the job done. Um, you know, they didn't allow – Tulsa went 0 for 11 on third downs and, and 1 for 4 on fourth downs um, and just couldn't take advantage of opportunities. Hit a couple big plays early, but that was about it. Um, but, you know – Tulsa had a good plan for Chuba Hubbard and slowed him down. Tylen Wallace didn't have a catch in the first half. And by halftime there, you're just like, man, this is this is not the team that it looked like on paper. Um, and, and you know, so how long does it take to get Spencer Sanders back? We'll see on that. But um, they do really like Shane Illingworth. Um, they, you know, he's a four-star guy uh, out of California, uh, a good pocket passer. But and, and people didn't know this until they said it after the game, and they can laugh about it since they won. But yeah, they you know Illingworth missed a couple of weeks due to contact tracing, and so Bullock was getting all those reps in practice. So it was a bold move to throw the freshman in there, and uh, could have gotten a lot worse. But in, instead, it got better. Well, and it's just crazy how much these guys can plan and plan and plan and plan, and then the thing you never plan for is the thing that saves your butt. For sure, for sure. <laughs> it's, so. They've got West Virginia next week. So this is one of those things. If they play next week the way they played this week, they will lose. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the case. That's That was the problem for them last year. You know, Oklahoma State had the potential to be a really good team. It just wasn't a week-to-week consistency that you saw. Um, and that's how they were the year before, too. And so, you know, when, when all three of those guys, when Spencer Sanders and Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard are on the field together – they can put up a ton of points um, and that, you know, you're encouraged by what you saw defensively, but it's just the week to week consistency wasn't there last year. And now here's how you're starting off with, with your quarterback, you know, limping off the field on the first drive and, and what he can do as a runner is so important to them. Tulsa's defense had a three man front up front and we're pushing around Oklahoma state's offensive line at times. So um, you need that passing game to balance it out. I don't think they even threw for 150 today. So it's a, a little bit of a scary opener for them, and you wonder, is that affect the ceiling very much? I guess that really depends on, on the status of Sanders. I'm just not sure what openers mean at this point, Max, because everybody's so kind of scattershot. You don't know what yeah. practice, uh, you know, how, what, how people practice. You don't know how much practice they got in. You don't know who they had available. And a, a prime example of that is Navy. You know, in its opener, they had played BYU. They got absolutely annihilated by BYU and, and Kenny Montalolo said afterward that they hadn't been hitting at practice. And you're like, Oh, well that, that explains it. Cause BYU was hitting at practice. So Neil Montalolo said they were going to get back to that. Well, so they play Tulane and immediately go down 24 to nothing. <laughs> but then Dalen Morris, the, the freshman quarterback who had been benched gets his job back by leading them back to a 27-24 win on a walk-off field goal. I mean, what Navy's range of emotions today was just absolutely crazy. And I just remember flipping onto that game early on and thinking, wait, I thought they said they were going to hit at practice. What happened to that promise? <laughs> well, in the, so when I say like, when I talk about like week-to-week consistency with Oklahoma State, 
like, is that even going to be thing, a thing for anybody this year, Andy? I, like, I don't can we know. really expect that of anybody? I, I don't know. Because, like, for example, Miami's looked great. What if Miami has six guys that are really important that can't play against Florida State next week? Now, is are they going to look the same? We don't know. Like Georgia Tech against UCF, how much did not having your top two tight ends meet? You know, they were playing right. a converted long snapper at tight end because they didn't have anybody else. Right. Right. And it, it, I did laugh in the middle of all this, though, that it, like while while we were watching all these teams struggle, uh, our our dear colleague Grace Rayner was tweeting from the Clemson game that Clemson had figured out who their backup kicker was in the middle of their blowout of the Citadel. You know, like everything's fine at Clemson. Everything's easy for Clemson. They dressed like 105 guys for that game and, and you know did whatever they wanted. But for literally everybody else in college football besides you know, Clemson so far, pretty much. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's a struggle. And look, they, they've got Virginia next week. So it should be slightly more difficult, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be any more difficult. They do have Miami the week after that. So that that yeah. might be their toughest test of the year. I don't know if, if it's going to be Miami or Notre Dame, but it could be the first of two meetings with the Hurricanes if the Hurricanes keep playing the way they have. So... It, you're right. I, I don't know that anybody can can count on week to week consistency just because of of the way things are. I mean, you know, you, you keep seeing postponements. You wrote a story about how the Baylor Houston game got put together on such short notice, except it didn't happen. They didn't even play it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty disappointing. I mean, I literally talked to Dana Holgerson for that story at like three o'clock on Thursday afternoon, and he was feeling great. Um, and on Friday morning. They tested their program and they did 165 tests and everybody came back negative, right? But that's that's just the that's what's just what makes this season hell is you can do everything right and then your opponent can call you at noon on Friday and say, "Whoops, we don't have offensive linemen or we don't have you know enough quarterbacks or whatever," and uh, you know, see you later. Well, and I so I had a little moment of panic on Saturday. I looked down at my phone. And it was an email from the Louisville Sports Information Director, Rocco Gaspro. And the first word of the subject line was canceled. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Well, it turned out they were just changing the web address of the press conference Microsoft Teams meeting. If you wanted to, to click oh, into to Scott Satterfield's postgame press conference, they were just changing the address of it. And they were canceling the first one. But... I saw the word canceled. I was like, are you kidding me? The kickoff's in like two hours. Come on. No, it's, but that's it's like nothing is, is safe. No. <laughs> like, every day there's, there's a possibility of this popping up and it could be either team and it could happen at any moment. And as, you know, as these leagues have set it up, it's like, uh, we'll test on Friday morning and, uh, We'll see how it looks then, and, and give you you know give you the okay to go play. But it I, and it's it's crazy, Andy. I'm sure you've experienced this today too. Um, like a lot of times, we're just not going to find out until the game kicks off, right. and the and the broadcast is like, by the way, this team is missing all these players. Well, that's not information they're going to volunteer. And like like the Tulsa game today, they're like at the start of the broadcast. Oh, by the way, they're they're running back uh, suffered a torn ACL in practice this week, and he's out. Yeah, it's like oh, nobody knew that, you know. Yep. Um, and that's that's just that. And and oh, by the way, Zach Smith uh, just came back from quarantine a week ago. It's like there's just 
this stuff is going to get talked about like in production meetings and like on the broadcast, but nobody's privy to it until kickoff. Well, and that's the thing because beat writers are normally around the team. They they may not be allowed to watch practice, but they're at least around enough to kind of get a gauge of who's in a boot, who is in a non-contact jersey, who's doing this, who's doing that. There's none of that now. They're not letting anybody near anybody else. So that sort of information, you're right, is not going to come out really until about kickoff. And I remember I was talking to somebody, and they said, hey, why is the line move so much on the Louisville-Miami game? Does Louisville have a bunch of guys out? And it's funny because yet another Rocco Gaspro email comes in like five minutes later, and it says, everyone on Louisville's dress roster is available Jawan Pass is missing the game for personal reasons. That's the only yeah. that was the only one not available. <laughs> but like the person I was talking to was assuming they had like a whole position group out. Oh yeah. Oh, there's I think we're all just sitting around here wondering that. It, like either a game gets canceled or postponed or it kicks off and you find out at the start of it, oh, you know, so and so is missing six, eight starters or every guy to position group or whatever. It's just um it's just so random every week. Yeah, and it will be like this, except now it's going to be like this on a grander scale because the conference where it just means more is joining the fray next week. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like... It's one, it's one thing when it's Tulsa. It's quite another when it's Alabama. Well, okay, it, it's, you know, when, when Baylor and Houston cancel a non-conference game, there's, there's a lot of hurt feelings on both sides. Everyone's disappointed and stuff. If a SEC game gets postponed this year, the finger pointing and uh, accusations don't you think are going like you would think? Oh, guys, it's it's a pandemic. You know, stuff happens. It's it's unfortunate, but I think there's definitely going to be people being like they were ducking us. They didn't want to lose, so yeah. they said they had this many guys well, out. Haven't SEC teams said that when a hurricane was bearing down on one of them? <laughs> Yes. Where the, the team that doesn't have the hurricane bearing down on it's like you don't want to play us. I think I yes, I do think there is some applicable like Florida LSU history that you could say yes, these things can get uh, very feisty. Yeah, well, the good thing for the SEC is they do have a built-in week of no games that is strictly for that purpose. If if there's a, a game that gets postponed and there's not a common open date or any way to accommodate it. They can move it to that week. So you won't have the you're ducking us. They'll just play that in December. That's great for one of them. What about the other ones? You know? I don't know. Well, no, every every week would be like that. Yeah, I, I presumably two team, you know, a team can't do two different games. I thought that'd be pretty fun. Play a doubleheader. Yeah. Yeah. It's Kentucky's you're right, play though. Auburn it, and Tennessee today. It it, it God, it's like the, it really is like you're, uh, you know, the SEC is showing up to this party and there's uh, a lot of funky things going on at this party already. And I think they're going to take it to another level. Well, I, I think the idea behind waiting till September 26th was they might be able to normalize it if they wait that long. But yeah. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I'm not sure it'll be normalized by the time the Big Ten starts playing in, in another I, month. I think as we sit here today, wouldn't you say that was the right call by their conference? By the SEC or the Big Ten? By the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. They, I think they've handled it the best of anybody. I, I think they have sat there while everybody else has lost their minds, either yeah. because they were trying to play earlier or because they decided to postpone and now they're trying to figure out what the hell to do. 
So and and then the games that were played were 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 both just sitting here being like, well, how much do these non-conference games even matter? You know? Right. And and they went all conference. But look, you notice there hasn't been a lot of chest pounding or crowing from the people in the SEC because they all know that next week could have the same problems. You know, they could be dealing with the same problems Baylor was yep. dealing with or the same stuff Memphis is dealing with right now. So they're not going to jinx it. There's a lot, there will be a lot of knocking on wood in SEC country this week because they, they want it to go off without a hitch. I think they'd be really happy if it did, but I don't think anybody is completely comfortable right now. No, they're not blind to this. They're they're still dealing dealing with cases within their programs right now. Absolutely, you know? yeah. It, so, so I mean, I think their their plan was probably the best of all the plans because it didn't require them to essentially get into a massive you know civil conflict within their own conference like the Big Ten. But again, well, you just you're going to have to deal with this stuff this year. Yeah, and I think as we look back on this non-conference play a little bit too, like I, it kind of does make the case for you know the Big Ten came to that conclusion too of like let's not play non-conference game. It's just easier to navigate. They came to it first. Conference. They did, and and you kind of have seen over with the number of postponements, with the number of um, just issues that have popped up, you can kind of see why they and the SEC came to that conclusion. Because as much as it's nice to get a game in, get the reps. Get the crowd and some revenue. You know all the all the benefits of trying to work through this. Like, you know, Memphis is going to go a month without playing a game now, Andy. Like, yeah. there's some of some of these people are coming out of this month of September saying we wish we hadn't done it. That right, way. right. Was this worth it? I think you're right. It's the only two actual conference games that have been moved so far are NC State, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, Virginia Tech. Correct. Mm-hmm. And both of those found so. another home in the calendar. So right. No conference game has been canceled of yet in the, in the Power Five. That's right. Yeah, because Houston, Memphis has been postponed. We don't know what happens to it in the, in the American. But, yeah, so we don't really know how that's going to end. But I, I do think you're right. I think the, the SEC and the Big Ten saying just conference – because it was about controlling variables. And that's – you know, right. the SEC, we talked about, oh, how the ACC – made it look like the SEC was ducking their teams when there wasn't going to be a Georgia-Georgia Tech, Florida-Florida State, Louisville-Kentucky-Clemson-South oh, sure. Carolina, just because they they made that decision the day before the SEC announced conference only. But I think now you look at it and you're, okay, controlling the variables probably is the more important thing in this, in this yeah. equation. Yeah, certainly, certainly, and you you kind of get you know in the case of the SEC, they've had a chance to sort of stay in their lane and focus on camp and and you know, as you know, tr- understanding that in this world, like the longer you wait, the the better the testing scenario becomes in a bunch of different ways, and that's come true over the course of this month, and so um, yeah, the the whole non no non conference thing kind of worked out, and and conversely, like I'm sure people at this point are looking at the Big Twelve. And and although we haven't seen TCU and Baylor play a game yet, you're looking at them and saying, "Boy, that non-conference slate, um, pretty mixed bag." Did not, did not help anybody except maybe Oklahoma, yeah. but didn't really help anybody else. It does it feel like we haven't really talked about the SEC very much in the last month? Yeah, I kind of think so because we we talked about like Jamar Chase opting out, 
we we've talked about Cade Mays got his waiver. He's going to get to play at Tennessee. Uh, maybe Joey Gatewood will get his waiver at Kentucky. We'll see. Perhaps they're waiting till after they play his former team Auburn for Auburn to say, <laughs> you know, you could just give him the thumbs up on that sucker. But yeah, I think I feel like we haven't talked about them much because the the focus has been on everybody trying to get started, and they and they've intentionally laid pretty low, but. That, well, and we kind of have bookmarked all these spots in the rankings for their teams, too, yes. right? So it's going to be pretty fascinating to see. Um, look, I, I think the SEC and then later on the Big Ten, they're not immune to any of this stuff, no, right? They're, they're going to have inconsistency. Not. They're going to have guys missing. They're going to have a team that, you know, just plays substandard games every once in a while. Um I, so I, I'm just I'm I'm fascinated to see how they play to the expectations. You hope obviously that those they can get their cases under control in their programs and and keep you know keep doing well on that front. But they're going to run into all these obstacles too, and uh, I, I I'm sure there's going to be some weird results once the SEC gets going. You know we like weird results though, so weird results are fine. That gives us a lot to yep. talk about here. So next week. We'll be doing this after SEC games and ACC games and Big 12 games in conference. Oh, baby. Oh, it has begun. The appetizer course is done. Bring on the entrees. Bring on the meats. (laughs) Max Olson, it has been a pleasure. And we will be right back with our Miami beat writer, Manny Navarro, to talk about the Canes and an offense that not only works, but works really really well. No matter what fitness fads you follow, one thing is true across every one of them. You have to get hydrated and stay hydrated. The best way to do that is liquid IV. It is the most efficient way to get and stay hydrated because each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Why is that? It's the optimal ratio of glucose, sodium, and potassium delivered into your bloodstream. I live in a place where it is scorching hot, very humid, lose a lot of water when I go out running. I drink a liquid IV beforehand. I drink a liquid IV when I get back. It feels great. Partial to the acai berry before, lemon lime on the way back. I'm not sure exactly why it works out that way, but those are my favorites. Also, if you've celebrated a little bit, it doesn't have to be a workout thing. Maybe I had a neighbor who was testing out smoked old fashions, and maybe I had a few. Maybe I had one too many. When I got home, I drank a liquid IV right before bed. I felt fantastic in the morning. So how do you get yourself some liquid IV? You go to liquidiv.com and you use the code ATHLETIC at checkout and you get 25% off anything you order. That is 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. So get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Joined now by the Athletics Miami beat writer Manny Navarro. And Manny, what's it like to cover an offense that works? It's been a while. It's It's been so long since you've seen a Miami offense really dominate the way that uh, these guys are right now. I mean, 337 yards in the opener tonight, 47 points, 485 yards. I mean, the first two plays go for 75 yards and a touchdown at the start of the second half. And I think all those recruits that have been dying for Miami to look like this, they're all like, oh, my God, they finally look the way they're supposed to look. I am committed to Miami. I'm not just saying it. I mean it. 
I'm not going to decommit in two months right. and sign with somebody else on signing day. No, it's, <laughs> it, it is it is really amazing. Like because this has sort of been promised for a while, mm-hmm. but and and you and I have talked about this a bunch of times. I, I've I've said they needed to move to something like this for a long time, but. They were resistant to it. Now they're finally doing it. And, and the thing about this game that I think is really interesting, Manny, when you contrast it with the last few years, is this was a game where Miami's defense did not play that well. You know, Miami's defense had been carrying the Canes really for the last three seasons. The, the defense didn't play that well that night. Tonight they were sloppy on both sides of the ball in terms of penalties. And they still win fairly comfortably on the road in, uh, against a pretty good conference opponent. Well, it's great to have a kicker, isn't it? I mean, twelve. Oh man, points. he is something. <laughs> all all it took all it took was him beating them last year. Well, I I think I told you this. I I, I don't know if it was on your show. It might have been on another one uh, with the athletic. But I, I mean, they had five games last year. They lost by a touchdown or less, and they didn't attempt a field goal from forty yards or longer after the second week of the season. And now you see Jose Borregales go out there. And he doesn't just, you know, make the 47, 48-yarder. 57! 57 yards. And and Manny Diaz, did you see Manny Diaz's face on the sideline? Oh, yeah. He's like, I got a kicker, bro. He's like, he's like you know, he's like flexing after that field goal. It, it, it is really rare that you see, because every year we do these stories in the offseason about how some program addressed its issues. And then the, the team starts playing, and you ha- and they haven't really. Mm-hmm. Miami addressed its biggest issues in the offseason and addressed them completely, it seems. Play calling, quarterback, kicker. Those are the three things. And they went out there, they addressed all of those, and then they go out and they get a guy like Quincy Roche, who was the defensive player of the year. Right. Who all of a sudden, and so you can Greg- withstand the loss of Gregory Rousseau. Right. All of a sudden now you got some depth at that position. You got Jalen Phillips, who who looks like the number one high school recruit in the country when he's rushing the quarterback at times. Just you see the physicality and the size and and all of those things. And and you're just like, wow, I'm like, they've got legitimate dudes again at certain spots. And and look, it it takes a while for any program to turn things around. Miami was in a rut. Okay, yes, they were 10 and 0 at the start of 2017 and things were feeling great. But you go back and you look at that. 10-0 10-0 start. There were so many games that they barely won. I mean, it wasn't a 10-0, like, you know, 90s Miami style. This was, like, just scraping by to beat Georgia Tech, beating FSU on a last-second pass. Like, now, at least this offense, you feel like, hey, Miami can go into a game and they can win by two touchdowns. And I yeah. don't know that that's been the case for a while around here. Or if the, the way I was thinking about it is if things break right, they can be in a game with Clemson in the second mm-hmm. half. Which is, I mean, think about the way that those meetings have gone. And, and obviously, they're not in the same division. They don't see each other that often. But, you know, I, I always think of the last game of the Al Golden era. That, that, mm-hmm. was, that was the ultimate here's how far you have to go kind of game. And then the ACC Championship in, in 2017, they, I mean, Clemson just manhandled them. And you were just like, they're just nowhere close to it, you know? And, and so, look, hats off to Manny Diaz. They won a big game on a national stage tonight. They, they were impressive doing it. They showed the kind of offensive explosion that's going to get recruits excited. But now, I mean, Kelvin Harris is a former Hurricane Center, won three national championships. I have him on my show all the time on Wide Right, and we talk about this. It's the Uncle Larry syndrome. He calls, you know, Uncle Larry's that, that uncle who oh, goes yeah. down to the bar and just after the big win, he drinks all night, and then he doesn't come home, and you're like, where's Uncle Larry? I, 
these guys, these Hurricanes can't turn into Uncle Larry. No, absolutely. And, and, and the thing is, this is the week, if you're going to do that, this is when that would rear its ugly head because they've got one of those only in 2020 games coming up next week where they got Florida State. And if you saw Florida State against Georgia Tech and you've seen Miami play both its games, you're feeling pretty good about Miami. But Florida State coming in with no head coach because he's got COVID and he's isolating. But this is the perfect letdown spot because you really don't know what you're going to get out of Florida State. You don't. No, this is this is sort of the perfect trap game. You got Clemson, you know, in three weeks. Um, they're going to be feeling themselves certainly a bit. But there's a couple signs that tell me that maybe Uncle Larry is not going to come back from Miami. Okay? And, and that's moments tonight like when Cam Harris scored on that 75-yard touchdown run and he just didn't want to put on the touchdown rings. He's like, nope, doesn't mean anything. I don't care if we're 2-0. None of this matters. It's all about the win. And Derek King is the same way. And I don't think you had that the last few years in terms of leadership and guys who are just like, there's a bigger deal to all of this than this bling and this turnover chain and all this other stuff. I think there are some guys in leadership positions on this team that do things the right way, operate the right way, and think the right way. So I'm hoping for Miami's sake, because I've written enough about these these big disappointments, okay? I, I kind of want to write about, hey, the U really is back this time, guys. I'm not just saying it. I, I hope that they show up and they and they avoid that because they are a better team than Florida State right now. Well, I, I think that Harris run was a, a prime example of how different this team is because that was Louisville had just scored to make it 2013. Javion Hawkins had been pretty much unstoppable on that drive. So Miami's defense is tired. You know, they they don't need to get back on the field without some more momentum. And then Harris, 75-yard run on the first play of that drive, instant answer. And then Louisville has another long drive, and they score on a 2-2 Atwell catch. And then the first play after that is all of Louisville's defense flows to the left. They sneak Jalen Knighton out to the right. King hits him. 75-yard touchdown pass. And it, it was... The game was over, I, I felt like, at 34-20. At 27-20, it was very much a game. It really was. And, you know, the guys talked about it on, on the Zoom press conference that we had a little while ago, that those were plays, like that Jalen Knighton pass play, they knew it was going to work. Like, th- those are plays that they literally are like, they call them special plays because in their minds, guys are going to be wide open. And it, a lot of it has to do with the threat of De'Aaron King. And Brevin Jordan, same thing. I mean, that last touchdown catch, I mean, I don't know if there was anybody within 20 yards of him when he caught that ball. No, and and the thing is, with these offenses, Rhett Lashley comes from the Gus Malzahn tree. Gus is the master of setting the hook. Mm -hmm. They'll run run a play four or five times, blocked a certain way, with a certain motion, looking a certain way, and they want you to, to get used to that. And then all of a sudden, boom, they do something different with exactly the same thing, and you don't know what you're doing. And that, that's what they did a few times where they made Louisville look like they had no idea what they were looking at. It really was. And, and, and last year, how many times did it look like Miami didn't know what the hell they were doing? Guys just running the wrong routes. Yes. Receivers just – it was like it was a comedy show. It really was at times. And, and look, Danny Nose is a tremendous offensive coordinator, but his scheme – was not built to have two true freshmen blocking at left tackle and right guard and and a quarterback who just didn't have the maturity to lead a football team, a redshirt freshman who wasn't – it just was a terrible mix. 
And so you're right. You go back to the beginning of what we we talked about. Manny Diaz found the right coordinator, the right quarterback to execute things. And things are looking good down here in Coral Gables, man. It really is. Yeah, it is going to be a really interesting season for them. And and you're right. You if you keep Uncle Larry away, mm-hmm. beat Florida State, all of a sudden this looks because they don't have to beat Clemson right now. No, they can they can play Clemson again down the road. They don't have to beat Clemson to get to that game against Clemson that really counts. So I, I'm interested to see how uh, how this team grows, how it does when it faces a little more adversity because you know that you saw when it hit adversity on Saturday night instantly responded which is not something we we've seen from Miami and and I remember talking to Manny Diaz when I went down there in February and he was talking about you know how how the chemistry just didn't work last year that they didn't have the right chemistry to deal with situations like that it feels like the the mix is right now it really does. And again, uh, you know, it, most coaches, it's funny, Andy, you, you, I mean, you cover all these teams. I've mostly covered Miami for the last 25 years. I, you know, it, some coaches just are too stubborn, right? They're not going to change their ways. They're not going to admit after one year, I totally screwed up. I hired the wrong coordinator. I made the wrong guy, the quarterback, like they will sort of hang on for dear, for, for dear life because they're like, well, this is my plan. I'm, I, and Manny Diaz recognized it right away. Like, we need to change coordinator. We need an entirely different quarterback room. And that and that takes courage, right? I mean, some coaches, like, if you do something like that, you really put yourself in a tough spot because you already hit the reset button going into year two, and now they're like, well, well, what are you doing? This guy has no idea what he's doing. Right. You, you've played your get-out-of-jail-free card, and if this right. doesn't work, you're fired. Yeah, it's you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, the thing is, it's worked. Now, it, what's crazy about it is if it really, really works, let's say they're really good, the offense is this good all season – Somebody might steal Rhett Lashley. Oh, yeah. Derek King is obviously only a one-year guy. But mm-hmm. I think they can, they can establish a template for what works. You know, you talk about those recruits that are, that are all excited and, and they say, now I'm really committed to Miami. Well, you can do this with other people. Absolutely. And I think Manny Diaz recognizes that. And, you know, part of the guys that he hired on the staff are guys that used to be Offensive coordinators in other parts of their uh, their careers, their wide receivers coach, their offensive line coach. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's guys that have experience here running this kind of offense and having success in it. And so, yes, could Rhett Lashley leave? Absolutely. I, I think there's going to be a lot of football teams watching this offense this year saying, yeah, I want that dude calling plays for me. And it's going to happen. I mean, Rhett Lashley has sort of gone from, from establishing that uh, just reputation under Gus to – having to go to a couple of other places, right? And and to and to be like, "Hey, I, it's not Gus anymore that's calling the plays. It's me." Yeah. And Well, and and he also takes the Sonny Dykes influence right. from SMU, which makes this a very, you know, an even different offense than the one he grew up in. He calls it the power spread. I mean, it is it is sort of a different different animal. It's a mix of both uh, those offenses that Sonny runs and and obviously what Gus runs and and you see it. You see it in the play calls, you see it uh, just in the execution, uh, I mean, the fact that I mean that really was the most impressive thing to me about tonight was just how wide open and like nobody around these dudes in the open field. I mean, Miami couldn't create any of that sort of separation last year, except against Louisville, by the way. <laughs> when Louisville, yes, just, I said Jaron Williams had a career game against them. So yeah, can, can they do this against Florida State? Which 
you know, they're going to be playing a bunch of NFL guys in, in Florida State's defense. So that'll be a good test for them. And then they'll have Clemson, which will be an excellent test because they will not be wide open against Clemson. Brent no. Venable's defense will not get fooled in that way. So they'll have to prove that they have good enough athletes to win one-on-one matchups with other really good athletes. I think that's when Miami can really prove that Uncle Larry has has moved on to another house and he's no longer living here. I think if Miami shows up against Clemson, like you said, I don't think they have to beat him. But if they're around in the fourth quarter and you're like, man, De'Aaron King looks pretty good against Clemson. And, man, Cam Harris is running hard against Clemson. And, oh, wait a minute, there's some guys making plays on defense against Clemson. This isn't just a mirage. I think that's when you'll feel like Larry is really out of the building and no longer uh, infecting Manny Diaz's locker room. All right, so we'll we'll find out in the next few weeks. Is Uncle Larry still living on the couch in Coral Gables, or has he shuffled on up to, you know, I think that he's got a buddy in Stewart that he hangs out with sometimes. He might be going so, down there pretty soon. Yeah, maybe, maybe Jupiter, maybe Fort Pierce. <laughs> Manny Navarro, thank you so much. Anytime, man.